Hello, hello, hello. Today, it is a solo episode with yours truly, Stephanie Marie Bloom, the first. Um, Yeah, so it's a lot more nerve-wracking, I think, doing this by myself. I know Taylor did it last week for me while I was in um, wherever I was last week, but uh, yeah, so I just got back from Europe, did a whole vacation. I'm going to talk about it um, before I get into the nitty-gritty of what I want to talk about in this entire episode, um, which I'll do after the break. But yeah, so thank you to Taylor for um, doing that fall equinox episode and talking about the Air- Storm Area 51 event. Uh, I really liked that episode. I was listening to it on the plane um, and I was cracking up. I was like, man, I love her so much. Um, so if you haven't checked that out, go ahead and do so. I say I'm a lot <laughs> and I realize that I do that, especially when it's just me left to my own devices to talk by myself. Um, see, there it comes. It's just a natural uh, <laughs> something that I do. Um, but anyways, today, the nit and gritty, as I said, of the episode is going to be um, about my trip to Auschwitz. So I went on a Euro trip with my family. There were 15 of us. And we started in Poland. Not all 15 went to Poland. 15 of us went to Italy. That was the center focus of our trip. And so some of us started off in Poland together. Then we all met up in Italy. And then some of us broke off and my family went to Germany. And we did a lot of cool stuff there. So I'm actually really, really grateful that I was able to go. Um, As most of you know, if you've listened to a couple of the episodes beforehand, I talked about uh, how I got into a car accident totaled my car uh the whole two weeks before the trip I had to rent a car so the entire trip I'm freaking out thinking this is what anxiety does um every day I would wake up and think about uh, how am I gonna get a car when I get home uh and just all these other different ruminating thoughts that I had regarding my car accident um but a lot of things could have went wrong in that situation and I might not have been able to go on the Euro trip. Um, So I just kept reminding myself how grateful that I was alive and that I was able to be there and what a beautiful experience it was. So first off, we started in Poland. As I said, we went to Auschwitz-Birkenau concentration camp. This is something I've wanted to do ever since I was in uh, probably my... When did you start learning about that? High school? Uh, I know some kids are learning about it now in middle school. I know that because when I substitute teach, they talk about it. And I'm like, whoa, that's a heavy subject for a, a little tiny kid to, to know about. But I remember mostly learning about it in in my high school experience. And the, well, that's also because I had a huge crush on my high school uh, history teacher. So when he, whenever he'd talk about anything, I'd be all wide-eyed and... Uh, ears wide open, just listening to everything, hanging on every single sentence that this man said, um, who I, I actually found him on Facebook the other day, and he's happily married with two kids, and it's a beautiful little family, and I'm just so happy for him, way to go, um, I've talked about him in one of my, probably, I think it was my, the embarrassing stories episode, but yeah, way to go, babe, you look great, um, it's weird not having someone here to, like, counter your banner with you because now it's just going to be me laughing at my own jokes which usually that's the situation 
But uh, yeah, I laugh at myself more than anybody else laughs at me. So it's usually nice to have Taylor because we laugh at each other because we think each other are the funniest people on planet Earth because we're so similar to each other. And our sense of humor is literally the same exact thing. And it's really weird. But uh, yeah, so (laughs) here we go. So we did the tour of Auschwitz. And I'm going to get further into that after I take a break in a little bit because that was one of the most powerful, life-changing experiences that I've ever had. It feels weird when I, when I talk about it because I say it's like my favorite part of the trip, but it was the most depressing day and I cried so many times as did the rest of the members in my group, but it was just a phenomenal experience. And I think that it's something that everybody, I'm going to start crying talking about it. (laughs) It's something that everybody should have to do. Everybody should have to visit it. And the man at the camp was telling us, our tour guide was amazing. He was so knowledgeable. Um, but he was telling us that German um, kids in the German school system and the Polish school system, they have to go uh, visit Auschwitz at least once. So they'll take a trip out and do that. Um, I don't know about Germany, actually, now that I say that, because Germany was a little bit of a hike from Poland. Uh, but... I feel like he said that. Sometimes I make things up in my head and I convince myself that they're true and then I tell people them and then I get called out on my bullshit. So uh, call me out on my bullshit if that is a falsification. Anyways, um, that's all I'm going to say about Auschwitz for right now. Stay tuned because it's really dark and, you know, it's my favorite thing is dark topics. So stay tuned and uh, you'll hear a little bit more about that trip. The other thing we did, uh, a couple other things we did in uh, Poland, we went to these salt mines. I didn't look up anything that we were doing. Um, My dad planned the entirety of the trip alongside with his sister and some other people maybe threw some things in. Um, My number one thing I wanted to do, well, too, were the Auschwitz and the Coliseum in Rome. But somebody decided to go to these salt mines. So I didn't look up what it it was. Um, And stupid me, here I am self-deprecating myself, uh, silly me, (laughs) thought that it was like (laughs) going to be a Himalayan salt cave that you just go in and sit in and like detox. And I was like, hell yeah, like that's what I need to do. I need to sit in these beautiful Himalayan salt caves. I came back with a sore throat and a little bit of a sinus thing so excuse my coughing but I I just thought it'd be like this beautiful (laughs) relaxing experience and boy was I surprised because as soon as we get there uh, we did a lot of guided tours and on the guided tours they give you like these um, radio things with headphones that you have to wear and I, I don't really care for that but it does help you hear the tour guide a little bit better and I don't know anyways so we get those. I'm like, oh God, what's going on? And we get in this line and then we had to walk down 50, maybe more. It was more than that. There's so many sta- so many flights of stairs that we had to walk down. And you could like see a little crack between the rail and the wall. And you could look down and see how far down this actually went. And it was insane. So as we're going down, I'm like, where the fuck are we going? Like, what the fuck kind of tour is this? I'm drinking my morning coffee that has, like, 
collagen peptides in it because now I'm on this real big health kick. So if you hear the spoon planking around, that's what I'm doing. Got to be healthy. Um, so yeah, we walk down there and then we get our tour guide, this adorable little Polish lady. Um, everyone in Poland and everyone in Europe is just beautiful. The guys, the girls, and they're all so fit and tiny. And I'm like, oh, look at me. I look, probably look like Shrek to all of them. But um, <laughs> so we had this great tour guide, but we're like leading through the salt mines and it's literally salt mines. Like we're <laughs> and which makes sense because that's what they're called. They're called the salt mines. They're not called the Himalayan salt caves. So we're walking through them and it's just literally like <clears throat> where coal miners used to get salt from. We're not coal miners because they're salt miners. God, I don't make any sense. Taylor, where are you? Um, these salt miners. You, I mean, it was co- it was cool to see. I mean, obviously, because you're so far below ground and you had to see these awful conditions that these salt miners had to work in and how they used to get salt. (laughs) And they constructed, like, a whole chapel made out of salt and, like, these... Another thing I do is say like a lot, apparently. Um, Anyways, they had these big chandeliers made out of salt and there was this big concert hall. Well, it it, it was the, um, the chapel, but... It was also a concert hall because the acoustics were so amazing. So they they hold concerts there, present tense, um, which is super cool. And it was super cool to see all of that. But <laughs> it was so long. It was such a long tour that I'm just like, oh, this isn't my cup of tea. The adults really liked it. But my cousin Tori and I, she's the same age as me. We dicked around a lot on this trip. Um, we were just like, what is going on? And like afterwards, we're like, what was that? But I, I mean, it was pretty cool. Not gonna lie, like reflecting back on it now, it was a cool thing to see. And they used to bring like horses down there to like help them. Eh, I don't know how they did that way back when. Um, but it, they would work in like pitch black conditions and have to have the lights on their hard hats and they could only see like a foot in front of them. And it was really dangerous and slippery. Yeah. I'm sure you're done hearing about the fucking salt mines because I am too. Um, the first day we got in Poland, there was like this market square. <clears throat> Excuse me. Huh. <clears throat> See, that's the good thing about having a co-host. It's whenever one of us has to cough or something, the other one can take over and start talking. But now you literally just have to listen to me cough. And I can't cut it out because like Taylor said in the episode she recorded, this um, app is great. Sure, it's really nice, but it's really hard to, like, go in and edit shit. Um, so that's why this we come at you raw, we come at you uncut, we come at you un-fucking-filtered, thanks to this lovely app. <laughs> um, it would be different if we had better technology, but neither of us are in the position to buy that right now. Um, so go fund me. <laughs> Anyways, the first day we got there, first of all, our hotels were huge, which was a huge surprise. Um, And right across the way from our hotel was Market Square that had um, this awesome Polish, it had all these Polish vendors. Gosh, gosh dang it. It had all these Polish vendors that were selling all these different types of pierogies, dumplings, sausages, mm, Polish wine. We had 
this hot wine that was made with like clove and orange. So good. So good. So we hit that up. Tori and I ventured off by ourselves because um, the rest of the adults were drinking beer. We're not beer drinkers and we wanted to explore. So we found this cafe and it was just all greenery and it looked like a little like botanical garden. As you walked in and we we got inside and it was like this outdoor little patio with this little outdoor, up, updoor, what does that even mean? Upstairs seating area with a balcony and oh, it was just so beautiful. And we just sat there and I ordered a drink and so did Tori. She ordered the orgasm drink, I think, that was like a chocolate milkshake. And mine was this, I forget what it was called. I asked the server for a recommendation and she told me this one and she brings over my drink and it has a sparkler in it and I was like cool but anyways so that was great um and then yeah we returned back to Poland on our last night and Tori and I hit up like a Chicago there's a Chicago jazz club um that we hit up because <laughs> we felt like we had to and it was just a really nice last big hurrah in Poland um but after Poland we went to Italy um, we arrived in Rome and were greeted by the rest of our crew who had already arrived the day before in Rome and were staying at this awesome villa. We all stayed together. We all had rooms on different floors and the rooms, again, or yeah, the entire rooms were just massive, which for me, my understanding of Europe is that the rooms are tiny because of last year when I went to Europe. Um, the rooms were all tiny, but here we didn't have that we didn't run into that problem once all of our rooms were massive so we get there um we go up on the rooftop and we had this whole rooftop little terrace with these tea lights above us and you could have you had just this beautiful view of the city of Rome and you could see the little cafes on the streets and it was just beautiful Rome was beautiful um and then the next day we woke up, we did a tour of the Coliseum, which was awesome, very informative, um, lots of history within those shattered little windows and walls, and it was very cool. If you're ever in Rome, you have to see the Coliseum, but, but when I woke up and was going on this tour, that's all I thought we were doing <laughs> was the Coliseum, which, I mean, w- would have been a short little tour. but boy oh boy was I wrong we literally walked like forever (laughs) we just kept going from place to place so like we left the Coliseum and Rome was hot Rome Italy was the hottest um country of our trip and if you know me you know I'm not a hot weather fan I love the cold like Poland was cold I love that shit um so we just kept going from place to place to place to place to place on foot. And we're all just looking at each other like, when does this end? But I digress. It was awesome. Um, looking back on it, we wouldn't have been able to find those places by ourselves. I mean, we would have, but it would have taken a lot of Google Maps and a lot of the kids leading the adults around and then the adults complaining because we're walking too much. But at least on the tour, it was like, we're not the ones in charge of the walking. So whatever. I don't know what I'm trying to get at. But we were able to see like the Trevi Fountain, which is this big, massive, awesome fountain that's famous. There's a lot of pickpockets in Rome too. So I had to wear this like 
ugly crossbody purse with all these security locks on it so that I didn't get pickpocketed. But yeah, I threw a coin in the Trevi Fountain, made a wish. Um, don't remember what the wish was, so I can't tell you if it's ever coming true or not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I made a wish in that fountain. It was really, really nice. Um, then we got to see a lot of different sculptures and whatnot and all these different like statues of Caesar and who else? I don't even know, but it was really cool. Um, <clears throat> we went to the Vatican. I'm not religious, um, but it was still a nice experience. I took my headphones out at one point because, again, it was a headphone-guided tour, and I just I just didn't care at that point, um, which sounds ignorant of me, but there's only so much about religion I want to listen to. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm being ignorant, but it was great to, like, I like to look at the artwork and... Um, read the little um description beneath it so I was doing that instead my alarm went off and I got cut off but I was doing that instead <laughs> um which is really cool but then there's a Sistine Chapel um within the Vatican which is what um you've probably seen in like history books that Michelangelo painted the ceiling for and the in- it was just beautiful but before we went in there they were like you have to be quiet no pictures blah 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 you could take pictures of anything else but the Sistine Chapel so we got in there and it was just really cool to stand in there I mean it was really crowded and crowds aren't my cup of tea but you could just stand and look up at the ceiling and see the beautiful intricate artwork that he did and it's really cool to see that stuff in person after having learned about it for so many years so that was cool and then after the uh vatican we went to the basilica which is this big church and it's really cool beautiful inside there actually um we went to tuscany beautiful wine country did some wine tours um beautiful 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 hills galore but absolutely wonderful and then we had family in chivitavecchia i think i'm saying that correctly which is just outside of rome and we went to visit them one day and it was just the most humbling experience to see how welcoming they treated us. Um, we'd never met them before. My grandma used to send her cousin Luigi letters, and they would communicate back and forth that way. But we had never met these people before, and as soon as we got there, they met us at the train station with open arms and were pra- practically in tears because they were so excited to see us and cooked us all this food like I can't even explain how much food we got and then they took us out for pizza and we got this private tour of these Roman Trajan baths and it was just unbelievable an unbelievable experience and that was definitely my favorite part of the trip was just that whole thing but wow um and then in Germany we did Oktoberfest We did Bavaria, um, the countryside, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful mountains. Uh, We were in the Alps, and I just can't get over those views. I feel like it was a dream. Um, I just can't stop looking at my pictures and thinking I was actually there. Um, We did uh, King Ludwig II of Bavaria's castles. Um, He he built three castles. This guy was nuts um, in a good way. But <laughs> he is quickly becoming one of my favorite people in history. My brother got a book on him that I'm going to have to read. With this, he, we went to the Linderhof Castle and then 
the Neuschwanstein Castle, which is the big white one that um, Disney in, was inspired by their big um, Disney World castle for. So that was really cool. But this guy was a Bavarian king, and he <laughs> was in the late 1800s, so he just started building these castles, um, which were impractical at that time. I mean, why do you need castles in 18... I don't want to say any years, because it's going to be way off, but it was in the late 1800s, we'll just say. Um, so he's building these castles, and he wouldn't let anybody else in them, and he was engaged to his first cousin once removed, Sophia, I believe her name is, um, but broke that off three days before the wedding because he thought he could find somebody better or something like that and didn't want to write himself off that quickly. Never was engaged again, never had kids, <laughs> and just wouldn't let people in these beautiful castles that he was building. I can't stress how beautiful they were. Um, he wouldn't let anybody in them except his servants, and he never had contact with his servants, but turns out he was a homosexual who resented himself so much because he was super Catholic. So he didn't, I guess, believe that he deserved um, human companionship because of that, because he was so self-conflicted. Um, but the poor guy just ostracized himself and built all these castles. And then he spent up all his money. So he started borrowing from the Bavarian government. And they were like, what the fuck? Like, stop building these castles. And then they killed him. They just, like, drowned him in a river. He was a very skilled swimmer, and his cause of death was drowning, I guess. Um, But, yeah, there's other fishy things that lead people to believe that he was murdered by the government. So, R.I.P. King Ludwig II, you're my guy. Um, I vow now, if I ever, within the near future, get a cat and remember this, I'm going to name him Ludwig. (laughs) Oh, God. But then also, the last big thing we did in Germany um, was tour the Eagle's Nest, which was a 50th birthday present to Adolf Hitler, um, which is kind of fucked up. But we started the trip with essentially Hitler at Auschwitz and then ended it with Hitler at the Eagle's Nest. Um, But it was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful day. We got to the top of this mountain where it was built and before we went inside of it, you just had these beautiful views of, you could see Austria, you could see Germany, and it was just so beautiful. Um, Unbelievable, really, and we were climbing to the highest point of the mountain, the clouds moved away, so we had a clear view, thank the Lord, because a lot of times you can go up there and the clouds won't budge, so we had a very nice day, we were very lucky with the weather, and then we went inside and got to see, like, where the Nazis used to sunbathe, um, and then where they had meetings, and then there was this bigger room where they held, like, very important business meetings, which it made me kind of really uncomfortable because in that room now, instead of making it a historical, like, place that you could go see, which, I mean, it's kind of fucked up that you want to go see that, but I don't know. It's interesting to say the very least I don't know they converted it into a fucking restaurant so there's like drink fountains soda fountains and all these tables and people can pay to eat where all these awful decisions were made and I'm just like this makes me really uncomfortable 
and I don't know, it's just anything to make money these days, and it made me kind of sick to my stomach, and I didn't care for that, so I kind of left there as soon as I could, um, just to have a better view, and we took this walking path down the mountain, and just beautiful views galore, and you kind of forget when you're looking at, at the countryside, at the mountains, at the lakes, at everything, that this is where Hitler was, this is where Hitler hid away, and made a lot of awful, awful calls, and I don't know. They kind of took away from that. So I don't know what I'm I'm saying. But yeah, so I'm going to uh, go fill up my coffee cup again because it's running low and I need some fuel to go exercise all the millions of pounds I gained in Europe off because let me tell you, they have the best food in the world. All three countries, no complaints, not a bad single meal. Uh, not a single bad meal. That's the correct way to word that. And you should see all this laundry sitting on my bed that I have to do. So I have to drink this coffee, do the laundry, and then go work off all that weight I gained. Holy macaroni. Alrighty. Stay tuned because I'm going to talk all about Auschwitz in just a couple of minutes. Thank you. See you soon. And we're back. Um, I got more coffee in my new Oktoberfest mug. Um, and I'm ready to lay it on ya, which, (sighs) not the wisest choice of words there. So when I went to Auschwitz, um, I didn't have my journal with me and I'm big on journaling and big on keeping a a record on my days now. So I didn't have my journal with me for the car ride back. So instead I went into my notes on my phone and wrote a snippet there And by snippet, I mean like almost an essay. Just kidding, it's not that long. So I'm going to start off by reading from that and just kind of seeing how that goes and maybe branching off and adding in some things that I feel need to be added in. Uh, If not, then yeah. Otherwise, I also have um, this book with me. I I got two books when I went there, um, and my cousin got three and we're just kind of swapping and going to read some literature from people who actually lived through the Holocaust and went to Auschwitz. And there's one book I'm reading now called Born Survivors, and it's about three moms who made it through and survived. Three pregnant, they were pregnant within the camps and within um, the entire Holocaust. And they survived and lived to tell their stories about it, and it's really, really powerful. But my cousin got this book that has little um, accounts from multiple different people throughout the Holocaust and throughout different times during the Holocaust. And I have post-it noted some ones that I flipped through and read and want to read to you guys just so you can really see the impact that this place had. Um, But yeah, so I'm going to start with a note and here we go. So we started at the first camp, we, which was Auschwitz. We were led down cobblestone roads with old buildings, which used to house, quote unquote, prisoners. It started as a military training base camp and during World War II was transformed into the hellhole it became known for. We walked through old living quarters. People were stamped or tattooed with prisoner numbers on their arms, which I think Auschwitz was the only camp to do that. Um, but they were forced to wear uniforms. They would sleep in unthinkable conditions, and they did not have bathrooms. Let that sink in. They didn't have bathrooms. Okay. Um, We saw shoes. 
like huge piles of shoes and luggage and clothes and human hair by the hundreds or thousands that were left over from those stolen from their homes and imprisoned. So these people would, the Jews were told that they were locating to a new place, right? So they were put into these ghettos um, initially. Some were directly sent to concentration camps, but some were relocated to ghettos as they awaited whatever fate lie next for them. Um, and I have a quote here from the ghetto uprising, actually. Um, so this is from Daniela Hausman, a young Polish woman in Warsaw, which is a, it's a different town in Poland. Um, I remember the ghetto uprising very well. It was really tragic. From the window of where I lived, we could see what was going on because the ghetto was at the back of our block. I saw terrible things. I saw a silhouette of a woman pushing a child into the fire below. Um, what I learned about in the other book that I'm reading is essentially that when the the soldiers would come to take these people away, to rip apart families and what whatever else they did, um, they would torture babies and torture little children and treat them like kickballs and just do awful things and sometimes they would just come and rip the children away from their their moms from their dads and instead of letting that happen to their children the moms would choose to take matters into their own hands because giving away your child to the germans was just an unthinkable thing um so yeah they were told that they were relocating to a new place that would be a better living conditions um a place of hope where they could truly thrive um so they packed their nicest essentials as soon as they arrived they were stripped of all of their clothes and their belongings and all of these things were given to the germans so the jews are being told that they're going to live this better life and to pack all your nicest things, your nicest houseware, china, your nicest clothes, your nicest jewelry. Um, and then they would put it in the luggage and mark their luggage with their name because they were told that they would see it again and they never saw that stuff again. It was given to Germans. Um, the children's clothing and photographs of their innocent little faces made me lose my composure. It was really hard to see that. We saw chambers where prisoners were taken to starve to death. There was one that was about big enough to fit four people uncomfortably. They had to crawl in from below like dogs and stand up in there by groups of four. They stood for three days and starved to death. Um, a lot of the accounts that I've read about people throughout these concentration camps, um, the, the worst part of the entire experience for them was the thirst that they faced because your mouth would just dry out you felt like you were choking on like cotton. Um, they could deal with the hunger. They could deal with how smelly they got because they weren't allowed showers. And these, I just, the thirst was what a lot of them had said um, really resonate. Well, not resonates, but sticks out in their mind as something that was the worst part about all of this. Um, we saw gas chambers where people were told that they were receiving showers which they yearned for. They they wanted to shower more than anything. You know when you go like two or three days without a shower, um, if you're a scumbag like me, I mean, but if you go that long without a shower and you're kind of like, oh man, I'm starting to kind of get a little stinky or my hair's getting a little greasy, which 
I mean, a lot of them, most of them didn't even have hair because it was shaved from their bodies in entirety as soon as they arrived at these camps. Um, but all they wanted was, a, they wanted a, sh- a shower so bad. Um, so they were told that they were going to showers and they were only left to discover that they were being enclosed in their death chambers. So they would file into these huge chambers and there were shower heads on on the tops. So these people, it, it was ease the process of getting them in there. So you see the shower heads and you're trick, they're tricking them into being like, oh, you're actually getting the shower. And I'm going to start crying talking about it. But then the doors would close and they're in there by the hundreds, maybe even thousands. And there's kids in there, there's adults in there and a little hole would open up and the soldiers would drop in um, the the gas essentially and would close off all openings to the outside world and these people would suffocate to death. So the kids would die first because they were closest to the floor, which is where the gas was coming from because they would drop the little, I forget what it was called, but it was like this blue gas. They would drop that to the floor and the kids would breathe it in the most. So the parents had to sit there and watch their kids suffocate to death. And then as they're suffocating to death, which could take up to 20 minutes, up to 20 minutes to suffocate these people. Um, so yeah, that was really fucked up. But then we were transported to Birkenau, which was built, um, this was created because Auschwitz one wasn't enough. Um, I mean, just walking around the grounds of there, it was big, but as soon as we got to Birkenau, we were like, holy fucking shit. Um, it was a it was a very eerie place. It was very quiet and so so big. Chimneys in the ruins of old quarters went as far as you could see. Um, it was like a forest of leftover chimneys. A lot of the buildings, most of the buildings, were destroyed, but the outlines of their foundation and their chimneys weren't. Which the chimneys were in all of these buildings, even in the. Um, in Auschwitz one, they ha- they all had chimneys and they all had furnaces, but they weren't allowed to use them. So it was just a health code um, necessity that they had heaters and chimneys in these buildings, but they never fucking used them. So these people were freezing um, in the winter time, freezing to death, and they there's so many different ways that these people were tortured and that these people died and. Ugh. But, yeah, so there's chimneys in the ruins, as far as you could see. We walked the same path that the Jews were marched by the thousands to their deaths. Um, again, being told that they were going to be bathed. Once they'd arrived at the gas chambers, they were stripped of their clothes like animals. The guides said that the Germans and the soldiers believed Jews to be less than even animals or vermin. They were then forced into the gas chambers, which had false shower heads in the ceiling to trick the lesser pessimistic Jews into believing they were actually about to be bathed. This helped make the process more smooth. Um, so there were a lot of whisperings throughout Auschwitz and throughout throughout the entire Holocaust about, oh my God, they're gassing people to death. Like they're leading people into into chambers and killing them by the thousands with gas. And a lot of people didn't believe it. Um, 
people within the camp, the, the prisoners of the camp, the Jews, um, the, even a lot of them couldn't bring themselves to believe it. Um, but then one, like once they got to Birkenau, um, which the, this is the only camp I'm really super educated on, I guess, because I went there and because I've been researching it a lot since I left and whatnot. Um, but when they got to Birkenau, they built these huge gas chambers because it wasn't working right at Auschwitz. So they built these huge gas chambers and I think there were four of them. And there was just constantly smoke coming out of there. And it was an awful, foul, disgusting smell. So then people started to be like, oh, like, this is real. And then, too, like, imagine being in the countryside and, like, smelling that and and hearing the whisperings and then being like, well, there's nothing I can do about it or my family gets killed or I get killed or it's just so fucked up. Um, so... After that, we toured these things called the death barracks, um, barracks. <laughs> I'm like the queen of mispronouncing words. That should be my nickname. I'll write that on my gravestone. Um, I need another sip of my healthy coffee. So this was where uh, the weakest prisoners in Birkenau were taken to await their journey to the gas chambers. So it was already decided. I mean, throughout the process of being selected for the gas chambers, you were essentially in a line and there was this evil, evil, evil man, Dr. Mengel, and he would make the decision of maybe if you had a little more meat on your bones, per se. Say you had a little more meat on your bones than the person in front of you. The person in front of you is super thin, super emaciated, and starving, and they're sent to the left, let's say. And then he gets to you, and you're sent to the right. You're either sent to the left or the right. The person to the left, the skinny person that looks like they can't work and that they're going to not survive very long, the left, they're going directly to the gas chamber. But to the right, you're either going into work or you're going to go do whatever until you await further determination of whatever your fate may be so in the initial process of it people didn't understand what was going on and they were either sent to the left or to the right and if they're on the right and they're surviving they have no idea what's happening to the people to their left so they would literally some of them would be with like their family and one of their family members would be sent to the left and they'd be sent to the right. So their family member is going to be gassed and that's the last time this person's ever seeing that person in their entire life. And they have no idea. They have no idea. Um, until they're told later on that that's what was actually happening. Oh, I get so heated talking about this. Um, so throughout the duration of the their stay at Birkenau, I mean... It was awful living conditions. A lot of people are getting scarlet fever. A lot of people are getting um, bit by bed bugs. And they're allowed one meal a day. That's like a stale piece of bread and this disgusting soup. This disgusting soup that they would sometimes be fed in um, the old basins of from the, from, the, from the washrooms. So they were allowed a couple washrooms. Some of them were allowed a couple washroom breaks a day some of them not and they had to literally shit themselves they didn't really pee themselves because they were so thirsty and they didn't really 
go to the bathroom that much because they were starving and so thirsty. But some of these people were literally fed soup out of old toilets. But they would still eat it because they're like, we, this was the only meal we were getting and it was foul and disgusting, but like, I know I needed it to, to survive. Um, so the people who just weakened up, I mean, everybody got weaker throughout this process, but the people that really hit were sent to the death barracks and they were awaiting their journey to the gas chambers. Since, you know, these were in such high demand for this mass extermination So they'd be put in one of these two buildings and they were given no more food or water. They didn't even have that option. Um, And many of the prisoners died in here from starvation, freezing to death, or disease from the insects and the rats that would raid their beds. And they were sleeping like... uh, It was... uh, I I, I didn't take any picture. I I took maybe two, two pictures from my time there because I just felt like it was something I didn't want to take a picture of. Like, I didn't want to take a picture where people died. Um, so I didn't take pictures of any of the quarters or anything. I took a couple pictures of the outsides of the places, which I can post, uh, which I probably will, just, you know, so you guys can see what I'm talking about. But I didn't take any pictures of the insides of these places. I'm sure you can look them up online because I went on um, the Auschwitz Instagram page and they do have pictures of the death barracks and all these things that I'm talking about. So you can go ahead and look through that. It's really interesting. You really get a better idea and understanding of how poorly these people were treated. Um, so they would sleep. There were triple bunk beds essentially, but they weren't bunk beds. They were like wooden panels and they were in three layers and the people, it's debated between the people on the top and the people on the bottom who had it the best because the people on the top were free from, um, like, I don't know how to put this. People had dysentery and they shit themselves to death. They had diarrhea and they couldn't control their bowels. So the people on the top bunk had it the best because they weren't being shit on throughout the night. Um, God, it's so fucked up to talk about this. Uh, the people in the middle, I, they were the... I guess it's debated between the middle and the top because the middle was the warmest. Um, but then the bottom had all the bugs and the rats that would come and bite you. So, and the top too also, there were little... The, these buildings weren't constructed very very well. Um, there were little cracks and crevices that were never filled in. So during the winter, during the cold, cold winters, um, they would feel that breeze and there's no escaping it. I mean, obviously they don't have fucking blankets and they were essentially keeping each other warm. And if they wanted to turn over, like if one of them was getting bed sores from their side, because they were literally skin and bones at this point and they're lying on wood panels to sleep, if one of them had to turn over, they all had to turn over. That's how tight the sleeping conditions were. So, um, yeah, it was fucked up. And then, I don't know. They, if they didn't die in the death barracks where they were awaiting their, their fate, which they knew at that point, um, 
that it was the gas chambers, that they were going to be gassed. A lot of them would um, run into electric fences if they were in, like, the front row um, of a line, like, being sent to the gas chambers. They would run into the electric fences. So a lot of people tried to commit suicide within the camps, um, which, I, I mean, I feel like I would have done, but a lot of them just had to suffer and go to the, the gas chambers. Um it was just really a really eye-opening experience and so at the at the end the guide gave us a speech on his perspective of this whole matter obviously verifying how eye-opening it is and then he challenged us to question everything that we know we have never been hungry think about that for a second you complain about being hungry or being hangry or you haven't eaten for maybe eight hours because of your job but You've never been hungry, hungry. Um, we can't even begin to imagine these scenarios or living situations. You learn about this stuff in school. And you learn all the atrocities of World War II and the Holocaust um, specifically. But you're so dissociated from it. You have no idea what it was actually like. Even reading these personal accounts and these stories and going there and seeing it you're dissociated from it it's impersonal it's it's something that you can think you can imagine but you fucking can't um the atrocities committed here were unique to the individuals who had to suffer through it and no one besides them will ever be able to comprehend how truly horrifying it all was we live in a society that thrives on goods having the best new phone or the, the greatest new purse or the coolest outfit but where are these goods coming from? Foreign countries. Foreign countries where people are forced into labor to benefit the big corporations and further to benefit the people, us. So do we play ignorant to what's going on or do we do something and help make the world a better place? The Holocaust may be over, but are all people treated equally and just? Think about that for a second. That speech that he gave at the end, I wanted to to take a microphone and just drop it to the floor. Like, fuck yeah. You think about this. Some people work all day, all day to make us these these clothes or whatever, whatever other goods that we have imported to us. They work their asses off for a bowl of rice in awful conditions. Children, child labor is a thing. And we just play ignorant to it all because we want the best new thing. We want to be the coolest kid in school. We want to have the fanciest whatever, whatever it may be whatever is unique to you. Think about that. The Holocaust may be over, but how are people all over the world being treated? And I mean, I don't want to get political on this episode. I mean, I guess I already have, haven't I? But um, the detention camps at the border where people are being held and stripped from their families and children are being stripped from their families and given up for adoption. Um, People are being stripped from their workplaces, working the jobs. And by people, you know who I'm talking about. You know who number 45 is targeting, and it's the Mexicans. Um, tell me how they're stealing our jobs on their... They're, they're, if they're immigrants and they're here illegally, they're not illegal people. They're not illegal immigrants. They're here searching a better life in the easiest way that they see how. Um, if they're here working these jobs, they're not stealing our jobs. 
You want to you want to work all the entire day in a restaurant's kitchen and work your ass off harder than any other employee in that entire restaurant works. You want to do that? Go ahead. They're not stealing our fucking jobs. Look at how we're treating them. We're putting them in these these cages and they're not given much food or water and you don't know how they're being treated. You play ignorant to it because it benefits you to do so. Just like it did in the Holocaust. It benefited these people to keep their mouth shut and to just live their lives. And we're doing the same thing. So just keep that in mind, won't you? Okay. That being said, I'm going to get off my uh, pedestal here and talk about the trans... I'm just going to read a couple more excerpts from this book that I have. It's called... If you want to know the name of the book, uh, let me know. It's a real. It's really awesome. The little paragraphs here are, like I said, little and... It's an easier read than a normal novel is, and it just, it causes you to really, it allows you, let me correct myself there, it allows you to really see what these people went through. So this is by um, Anna Bergman. She was a young Czech woman, and she was placed in Auschwitz and Birkenau. I was with a friend whose parents were in the same transport, but had been sent to the other side during the selection by Mengel which is what I was telling you about where they were sent into two, one way or the other. When we got into our barrack, she asked the women already here, where are my parents? When will I see them again? And they all started screaming with laughter. You stupid idiot. They are in the chimney by now. We thought they were mad and they thought we were mad. Okay, so let that one sink in. That's like what I was saying. Um, you're either sent to the left or the right. Her family sent to the left. She was sent to the right, and she's wondering, where's my family? And some people in the camp knew or suspect, suspected. <laughs> That's not a word. Where it had suspicions of the gas chambers, but no one could fully believe it, I guess. So her family had been gassed, and she didn't... I, I, don't, know, I don't even know what to say about this. Um, so here is an excerpt about being in the camps. It's by Freddy Noller. He was an Austrian Jewish youth and he was in Auschwitz-Birkenau. I was always and still am today the eternal optimist. I was able to talk to myself and say, I will get out of this mess. I will get out of this ordeal and I'll be able to tell the world what has happened here. I must survive and I will survive. I believe this optimism saved me because I saw other people who gave up who didn't wash themselves, did not take care of themselves properly. In winter, I undressed in the open, washed my body every morning. I think because of this attitude and my eternal optimism, I was able to survive. Once you give up, you're a goner. You're finished. So I really liked that account because with a lot of situations, maintaining your optimism even in, this is one of the darkest moments in history. And the fact that it happened within some people, like some, some people are still alive from this. Some people are still alive. Some people live, are, some people are still alive that lived through this. This happened within a lifetime. This wasn't something far removed, something that happened way long ago. This was not that long ago in the grand scheme of things. Um, but the fact that he was able to maintain his optimism during this time kept him alive. So just keep that in mind um, through any situation you're going through. You can't let it break you. Um, there was this other thing I posted on Instagram actually last night and it has nothing to do with the Holocaust, but it, 
there's a Steve Harvey quote and it just popped into my head, but he was like, if you're going through hell, why would you want to give up and stay in hell? You got to keep on going to get out of hell. So essentially I feel a connection between that account I just read and that quote. And I know it's Steve Harvey and it has nothing to do with the Holocaust, but I, I just can't drill that in enough. Like, why would you give up and stay in hell? Okay. What do we got on here? And this is the, so I have two more and they're on the afterthoughts of the Holocaust. This is by Kurt Klappels. He's a Polish Jewish survivor from the UK. What I would like to stress with all the emphasis in my command is, even though I was deprived of liberty, which on any reckoning was in a monstrous way, my personal experience, looking back, doesn't really bother, bother me very much. It wasn't a pleasant two years and 10 months, interned in 14 different concentration camps. It would be silly to say that it was. But what I can't get over is what happened to my parents and the rest of my family. That is a nagging wound which doesn't seem to get better with the passage of time. In fact, to this very day, I can't really bring myself to think about the way in which they died. It seems to have been a pathological policy, and the effects on the victims, well, they don't bear thinking about it. Yeah. So he's saying, essentially, he survived all this, and he was in 14 different concentration camps, and he went through hell, and it doesn't even come close to the fact that his parents, his family, went to the gas chambers and suffocated to death for 20 fucking minutes. Um, and here's the last one. Sorry. Gotta rip the post-it off the page. Okay. This one is by Ruth Foster, a German-Jewish survivor from the UK. I have been asked many times when I tell my story, could you ever forget? Then I tell them, It is when you stand on a lake and you throw a stone into the lake. First you have large ripples, then the ripples get smaller and smaller still. Then the surface is calm, but the stone is still on the bottom. That is the same with me, and that sums me up. I appear like an ordinary human being, but the stone of my experience is still lying in my heart. Mic drop. Um, As much as you try to forget about these things, it... It, if you live through something awful, I mean, the experience obviously doesn't control you the way that it did when it f- first happened, um, but it's always something that's w- inside of you, and that goes with anything bad that happens in your life or anything, any negative experience that you've had, but yeah, so th- the same goes with the his- the history of this all. Um, it's something that we're so far removed from, Um, especially a lot of you listening to this, most of you, probably all of you listening to this did not survive during that, were not alive during that time and can't understand it. But it's something that we have to remember and not let happen again. But who's to say it's not? So yeah, that's about it. Um, I missed you, Taylor, on this episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Is that a thing you can do to our podcast? Yeah, on Apple. Leave us a rating, uh, five stars on Apple Podcasts, and share this with a friend or family member. And I hope you learned something new. And yeah, Um, let's count how many times I said um and like.
And yeah, next time Taylor and I will be back. We'll record on Thursday and it'll be awesome. And I can't wait to see her. So thanks for listening. Bye-bye.